At Boston Medical Center, we are welcome and treated equally. Through our commitment to serve everyone, BMC offers numerous outreach programs and health services, including this podcast series, to hear our doctors and other staff members. It's Boston Med Talks with Melanie Cole. If you've ever groaned, oh, my aching back, and you are not alone, almost everybody experiences back pain at some point in their lives. And if you have experienced back pain, you know how debilitating it can be. Here to tell us about back pain is my guest, Dr. Chadi Tanuri. He's an orthopedic surgeon with Boston Medical Center. Dr. Tanuri, what are some of the most common causes of back pain that you see? Thanks for your question. And uh, there are many causes for back pain. Uh, One of them could be a trauma, which is a very common cause of back pain. Others are um, unidentified causes, uh, such as um, wear and tear um, and some genetic predisposition to back pain. Um, Now, if we look structurally at the back, um, troubles such as fractures may cause back pain. Other troubles such as disc herniation or disc problem can cause back pain and leg pain symptoms. Since pain in general is somewhat subjective, tell us a little bit about the difference between a chronic pain issue and an acute pain issue and how do you measure it so that then you can go to the right area to look and diagnose it? Great. So um, the differentiation between acute and chronic is based on the duration. So in my practice, uh, patients with chronic back pain are patients who have back pain for more than six months. Patients that have acute back pain, typically within a few weeks, onset of symptoms. Um, And acute back pain can go on to become a chronic back pain. Luckily, as you mentioned before, 80 to 90% of these back pain, when they happen acutely, they self-resolve within six to 12 weeks period. Unfortunately, 5 to 10% of them persist and maybe may go on to become chronic. And in some people, about 30% of the ones who have a chronic back pain, they continue to have recurrence of their back pain every once in a while. Now, it depends on the pathology underlying the cause of the back pain. Treatment can differ and can be different from one patient to another. Typically, for acute back pain, we don't investigate with radiology or getting x-rays or MRI. But once the back pain uh, persists beyond um, 8 to 10 weeks, at that point, we'll go ahead and get an MRI and get some uh, advanced imaging to help us understand what is causing the back pain. And based on that, we can make a recommendation with regard to treatment plan. Then let's talk about the first line of defense, doctor. If somebody has whether it's acute or chronic, if it's chronic, degenerative arthritis or scoliosis or any number of back issues, what is the first line of defense? Do you look to physical therapy or medications, things that might help with the pain, or do you talk about epidurals and injections and things like that? Tell us how that process works. Great question. So as a physician and a surgeon by training, Although surgery is always uh, uh, an option that we have in the back of our mind, it's not the first option. It's not the only option we, are, we uh, provide the patient with. We understand that um, 20, uh, uh, as we said earlier, sorry, uh, 80% of the patient may improve without any surgical intervention, and they may improve, their back pain may improve on its own 
uh, with activity modification, with physical therapy, with exercise and lifestyle changement. So with that being said, the first line of treatment would be uh, the least invasive, which is activity modification, physical therapy, exercise, lifestyle modification, weight loss program. Uh, if patients are currently smoker, and we know there's a study showing that uh, smoker patients, they, high, they have high prevalence of uh, having more severe back pain and longer episode of back pain. So um, with that being said, we encourage uh, current smokers to stop smoking. Um, that would be the first line of treatment. The second line of treatment would be uh, modalities, uh, exercise, uh, apply heat and ice. Uh, and and uh, continue with physical therapy along with oral pain medication. The choice of the oral pain medication uh, is typically over-the-counter to start with, Tylenol, Motrin, aspirin, and try not to overdo it because every medicine, despite how benign it is, it can cause side effects. Um, the third line of treatment would be uh, if there is evidence of instability or scoliosis or if there's evidence of nerve compression. An epidural injection may help relieve part of the sciatica pain, as well as other different types of injection may help with the arthritic pain in the back. Um, And the third option, I'm sorry, the last option would be the surgical intervention depending what is the problem. So if the problem is related to a disc herniation or fragment disc fragment causing pressure on a nerve, this can be removed and that can be done via a surgery we call laminectomy or discectomy. However, if there are instability in the back that can present itself of, uh, as a slipped vertebrae or uh, a scoliosis or spondylolisthesis, another term of slipped vertebra, uh, that can be treated with fixation. So the aim is to stabilize the spine and taking the pressure of the nerve root. Wow, that's an excellent description, Dr. Tanuri, of the different types of techniques. Tell the listeners a little bit about the difference and the benefits of a minimally invasive procedure versus traditional. People get a little scared when they hear the word back surgery, but but surgery has changed. It's not our grandmother's back surgery anymore. Tell us what's going on in the field and a little bit about the differences between the two. True. Well, thanks for your question. So, uh, as you mentioned, um, technology has um, uh, has influenced the uh, the surgery we do these days. It's like the um, take for instance the telephone. You know, nobody has the, the the big phone that we used to have in the past. Now we do have the smartphones, and technology with its development uh, as well has affected the the way we do the surgery these days. So uh, back in the days, we used to have uh, big, large incisions to take care for a to target small pathology. And nowadays, we were able to do a small incision to target the same pathology. Uh, the problem with the bigger incision, uh, it, it is thought to be associated with collateral damages. And that collateral damage happened at the level of the soft tissue envelope. That protects the spine. So that includes the muscles and the uh, the nerves and the soft tissue that um, surrounds the spine. Um, and in order to access the spine, depending on the size of that incision, it may affect the healing time and the pain and the bleeding uh, that occurred during the surgery and after the surgery. So a smaller incision is associated with less muscle dissection, 
less bleeding, less pain after surgery. So it may impact an earlier recovery and less pain during the recovery period. So the people uh, or the, uh, the treated individual may bounce back from the surgery quicker and faster and uh, reintegrate in the workforce and become productive again. So that's the premise of the minimally invasive surgery. Now, but I want to caution one thing. There are some studies done on, you know, um, one-level fusion and one-level decompression, whether it's done via minimally invasive or uh, uh, traditional open surgery. And um, there are some virtues to the minimally invasive surgery, but up to this point, we have not mastered um, a one technique that uh, would uh, present itself as significantly improved um, from another technique in the minimally invasive. Because we do have now many minimally invasive approaches, and although they're all of them, they show trend toward improvement in pain after surgery, uh, less bleeding, faster recovery. We haven't really found the one technique that uh, is going to be the standard of care yet. Such an interesting field that you're in, Doctor. As we wrap up the segment, it's great information. Tell the listeners what you'd like them to know about preventing back pain and possibly acute episodes as you were discussing. What you'd like them to know about keeping a healthy back and the role that exercise, physical therapy, yoga, meditation, stretching, and even healthy eating have on our backs and how we can help ourselves? Excellent question. So, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, 70, 80% of the time, the back pain is going to resolve. Unfortunately, in 10 to 30% of the time, it may persist and it may recur. Now, conditions that they may affect the severity of the back pain include medical condition, lifestyle, occupation, as well age and genetics. So while there are modifiable factors that we can uh, influence in order to improve the back pain or, or make the recovery faster, there are other factors that we cannot modify. Let's talk about the modifiable factors, and these include the medical conditions underlying diabetes, diabetes, obesity, and smoking. Those affect the severity of the back pain, and and they have potential of increasing the episode, uh, the length of the episode of uh, or the flare-up of the back pain. So if we're able to have a patient control their diabetes, um, follow uh, nutrition uh, consultation, uh, as well as a smoking cessation program that may help with uh, improving their back pain. Even there's a study done recently in Korea uh, on patients above the age of, uh, I believe, 50 or 60, and they have shown that uh, for the ones who walk at least 90 minutes a week, they have a better uh, pain control of their back pain compared to the ones that they don't walk or they walk less than 90 minutes a day, 90 minutes a week. So that amounts about 15 minutes a day. So uh, this is just to give you a simple example that even something as simple as walking 15 minutes a day may improve your back pain symptoms. Um, Other options would include as well um, changing in the the job environment. Some people are exposed to different um, job environments and those can be modified uh, in order to prevent uh, aggravation of underlying conditions in the neck and the low back. Um, 
psychological disorder, depression, anxiety, all uh, if uh, those can be controlled with medication, also they may reduce the back pain symptoms. As you mentioned, exercise and yoga, physical therapy, weight loss, it all uh, fall under the same category of becoming healthier for a, for a better back and better neck pain symptoms. I agree completely, Dr. Tanuri, and thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise explaining what's going on in the field of orthopedic surgery and back pain management and giving us some great advice and tips on keeping a healthy back so that maybe we don't even have to discuss surgery with our physician. Thank you again for joining us. This is Boston Med Talks with Boston Medical Center. For more information, you can go to bmc.org. That's bmc.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.